Hi, my name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. Buff Monster is a street artist who made a name for himself by putting up thousands of hand silkscreen posters across Los Angeles. Over the 20 years or so that he has been at it, he has grown his practice based on his eponymous Buff Monster character into a multi-pronged business that does everything from paintings to stickers to toys to wall murals to NFTs to commissions. Born in Hawaii to a family of artists, he went to college in LA to study business, but decided that New York City was the place to be. He is an active presence on social media where he talks directly to his legion of fans, eager to hear more about his latest projects, whether it's an internet drop, a zine, or a collection of vintage-style trading cards like the one he created in homage to the Garbage Pail Kids called The Melty Misfits. Welcome, Buff Monster. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. That's quite an introduction. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, that. You've, you've got a lot of good story to tell. Do you think of yourself as a misfit? Uh, I guess so. I guess perennial outsider, I think, is probably a good way, you know? Even as people, you know, with your success, people might perceive you more as an insider. I don't know, man. I, I Success or not, I still feel on the outside of everything. That's for sure. And... Is there a reason for that or is it the cultural or what would you attribute that to? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not like maybe from the outside, you might say, oh, okay, this guy's established. He's made it or he's at some part of the level, the ladder of success or making it or something. But when you're doing it, it's not like an athlete that gets signed to a major team or some sort of outside kind of organization that verifies where you are in the art world you just kind of do what you do and i guess that label gets attributed to you one way or the other whether it's accurate or not or whether you feel like it or not i guess i think it's your version of the art world isn't it because the art world in quotes we know you get into gagosian You've made it, right? You get into Pace or Worth or whatever it is, you know, the blue chip galleries. That is like the moment. But given that you're in another sphere, I actually wrote down a name. You and artists like, say, Futura, Kenny Scharf, Keith Haring, Cause, friends with you, seem to have carved out an alternative path within the art world that doesn't really depend on the quote official art world for success or recognition. No, that's true. That's true. And that's kind of something what Carlo had written about, our buddy Carlo McCormick, who wrote the text for my book. Yeah, he kind of pointed out about me being kind of on the fringe, on the outside there. And yeah, I think that that's totally an okay place to be. You know, I think, I mean, you're right. You know, I've, I've cultivated fans and followers and collectors and I make a variety of items because I think, uh, well, I, ha I have a lot of interests, but I also um, kind of subscribe to Murakami's super flat idea, 
that, you know, the, the $5 thing is the same as the $5,000 thing or the whatever, you know, it's like the, the price is, or, you know, whatever the, 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 um, the item we're talking about, uh, regardless of the price is still from the artist's mind and, 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 you know, is still a piece from the artist. So whether it's uh, super collectible or one of a kind and whether it's expensive or it's cheap, it's kind of irrelevant. Well, yeah, and that's been held up by just collectibles of, let's say, comics world, for example, creations by artists that were never meant to be regarded. It was mass-produced, sold for a dime, and now worth tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars because people still, you know, look, this is by Kirby or somebody fantastic, and an artist, that we want to have that piece. Mm -hmm. So I know you said you studied business. I'm curious about that because I'm wondering, was that a just in case the art thing didn't work out or were you preparing yourself for the art world of the future at that time? Yeah, it, it wasn't a just in case. It was more of a um, just kind of a uh, feeling that regardless of what I went into, that uh, having an understanding of business would, would be valuable. And I think that's true for anything, really, if you think about it. And so, you know, some people have told me like, oh, it's so smart that you study business, whatever. I don't think it's smart. I just think it's reasonable. I think it just makes sense. If, if you're going to, if this is going to be your career and this is how you're going to make a living. And if you're going to, this is your profession, I think that you should be professional. Uh, and along with that, having an understanding of business just makes a lot of sense. Were there others like you in school and, and who were pursuing business because they were really artists or were thinking of one day becoming an artist. No, it's actually the opposite. You know, all the people, all my uh, fellow students in business school wanted to do investment banking. And it was just like so terrible and dreadful. And I had no interest in any of that stuff. And so that actually kind of drove me to the arts even more. You know, I was originally a business major and I actually made it a business minor so I could major in art instead. You know, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, look, it's art and business. You know, Andy Warhol has a famous quote about the best art, you know, being the best business and all that. But I think that I don't know if I 100 percent agree with that or not, but I yeah. think that um, business, the business side of things doesn't have to be a dirty side of it that people talk about. I think that to me, it kind of relates to like making the best work for the collectors, you know, and I, and I feel that kind of in all aspects, I want to deliver something to the collectors that's the best that I could make it at the time. And um, I don't know, I think part of that is kind of making sound business decisions, you know, and that's good for everyone. You know, I mean, my business going well is good for the collectors uh, that have the work. I mean, it's in everyone's best interest. Yeah, it's sometimes hard to uh, know what the right thing to do. In fact, this is a subject that's been of interest to me for quite a while. And I've been an advocate of artists understanding business because of having seen it was generational to begin with, because this all started in the 80s when young people were able to make art, the people who I mentioned mm -hmm. and make money at it, which is basically a new thing. And the idea of being and Andy Warhol being a big example and inspiration at the same time to show that you could do that. So there's this whole idea of business and art going together, especially in this world that we're in today. Well, yeah, I mean, and now it's all supercharged being that we're, you know, we're in 
2022 and you know it's i mean you know what is available to artists today to build uh, their own career and their own collector base and to service those collectors is you know night and day compared to what it was back in those days for sure yeah even my son in fact goes to school at emerson in boston and they have a program the business of creative enterprise so it's actually for creatives who may not actually be the artist at the end of the day, but want to work with artists. So that's the life that they're interested in or entertainment. or, And that's just becoming a bigger and bigger thing in the schools in general at this point. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think the more that schools can can address the business side of things, the better. I mean, it's it seems like a huge uh, hole in the curriculum if they're not going to address that in a meaningful way. If you look at, you mentioned Warhol, I don't know if you've had a chance to see the documentary, but the, you know, this documentary that's about Yeah, Warhol, I haven't seen the new the one Warhol out yet. Diaries. No. Yeah, the diaries, it's, it's pretty interesting in some respects, but in terms of what we're talking about here, there's suggestion that he, when his early days, when he was doing the factory and, and being the films and just being super creative with a lot of amazing ideas, that as time went on and he became more of a businessman and he had to operate his studio and thinking about raising money and doing his portraits and things that actually took away from his creativity because he had to do something very different. And then at, towards the end, he starts reflecting on that and he goes through his archives and he looks at the work that he did. And he said, oh man, this was so cool and I was so interesting and look what I'm, you know, and he was really disappointed in a way with the way his career had moved. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what you're describing is the battle between being an artist as a creative and being an artist as a small business owner. And that having to wear both hats definitely frustrated me for a long time. I mean, for most of my career, I was frustrated by that. It still frustrates me uh, from time to time, but it frustrates me less. Um, because as a small business owner, there's so many things that I need to tend to. And if I don't have people to tend to them, well, then I have to do it. And these are things that I have to do that no one asked me if I wanted to do this. Of course, I don't want to do any of this stuff, but I'm required to do this. And so, like I said, so short of having someone else to deal with it, which I don't really have for most of it, then I have to deal with it. And so when I have uh, paintings or you know, I have a show lined up or I have like creative obligations, but I'm stuck doing these stupid, you know, business filings for a biennial statement or like even these dumb things that I have to do, uh, then yes, that can be very frustrating. So, you know, there's, there's only so many hours in the day, right? Yeah. Right. It's almost a curse to know how to do those things. You know, yeah, of, right. Exactly. You know, getting a business manager or somebody else to do it. What did you learn in business school? Do you feel that's like most important for young artists today who may not think about the idea of the business side of, you know, because so much is, you know, how people are, young people, especially, they're very idealistic. There's that whole tradition of the, the poor artist, the struggling artist, mm -hmm. it's some kind of noble thing to be. And then they, they discover <laughs> it's much nicer to have some money. <laughs> what did you learn? Do you feel that you could pass on? Yeah, well, just to address the struggling artist thing, I mean, I never subscribed to that. I mean, it's not that I came for money or, or, or whatever, you know, but this idea of the starving artist was never appealing to me. It seemed unsustainable. Uh, I mean, not just, I mean, however else you might think about it, but it's just like unsustainable. And so I think, I mean, look, most of my career has been struggling, even though I haven't uh, considered it that way. 
you know, I never really looked at myself as a struggling artist. I looked at myself as an emerging artist. And, you know, you just have to do what you have to do to not to get by, but just to, you know, the steps that it takes to build a career, a long lasting career, you know, these things take time, you know, and I think for me, it it comes down to three things, uh, patience, persistence, and passion. And, you know, if you, if you have the passion to do the work and you have the persistence to see it through uh, and the patience to know that this is going to take time, then that's okay. You know, I, th- I think to your point that maybe maybe these days people think maybe there's shortcuts or maybe there's a, hey, I, why, why does this take so long? Why would this need to take so long? You know, I think when you start thinking about that, it doesn't really work very well, you know, because I think you can see it in other careers and avenues like music, right? Like if someone, if, if there's a new artist and they blow up super fast, I mean, I think we all know that they might lose that all just as quickly. And so I think that, you know, you want to look at it from both sides, right? Like you want to build it slow and steady so that it maintains slow and steady. If something goes straight up, it might just come straight down. And that's not something that I was interested in. Yeah. You know, uh, let's see. What else about business school? Um, Got it. You know, (laughs) well, look, I mean, business gives you business school, I would imagine, talks about the long term. It's not about like saying just like going out and being successful in one day. You have to have a business plan. You have to think ahead. You have to understand finances. There's aspects of life that it addresses. And I know I feel like it's had an impact on you, even in a way that you may not have anticipated because that wasn't your primary interest in going to school to learn those things necessarily. You moved into arts, but I feel like it's had an impact on you in terms of how you think about your work and yourself, even as you've increased all the different aspects of what you're doing and different projects, even moved into NFTs. I mean, would you even be able to understand NFTs without some sort of business knowledge? Um, Yeah, because NFTs are more like tech. Yeah, they're, they're kind of more tech, right. you know, uh, and and they do seem um, polarizing, you know, but for me, you know, going back to making lots of different pieces for lots of different collectors, you know, my thing, look, I'm deep in NFTs. I spend hours and hours uh, daily or weekly on NFTs. Uh, there's NFT projects I've been working on for a year that still aren't done yet. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time and money, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying animators and renders and, and, and people to do these things for me. The ones that I can't do myself, obviously. But as much as I, I involved with NFTs and this tech and I'm learning new things and doing my own smart contract, and as much as I'm doing all of this, you know, I kind of decided early on that my job is not to uh, sell people on NFTs. I'm not, I'm, my job isn't to transform someone's interest in them. I'm not I'm not someone to take someone's reservations or, or problems with NFTs and try to overcome those. Like, I don't care. Like, if you like NFTs and you like my work, well, then buy an NFT. But if you don't like NFTs, well, then don't buy an NFT. Like, I don't care. <laughs> so what about you? Do you like NFTs? Do you like NFTs? Do you buy NFTs? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Totally. You do? 100%. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you spend a lot of time on the sites looking at or just particular people you follow? Yeah, I mean, I'm not like buying and selling them, you know, to, to make money or anything like that. You know, I'm not a flipper, just like I don't flip artwork. I, I you know, I buy a traditional artwork, um, just like I buy NFTs, you know, they're pieces that I like, and they're artists that I like. And, you know, I want to have a, a little piece of their, their output uh, in my uh, collection. 
So you're a collector as well as the producer of product that other people collect. Does it go as far as toys and ephemera, stickers or things like that, or is it more specialized? Yeah, I'm, I mean, God, you know, uh, I have so much uh, crazy uh, ephemera from like, you know, 15 years ago from all these other artists. But but yeah, all along, I just felt that it was, uh, It's again, it just seems reasonable that when I make some money from art, I mean, it just seems reasonable that I would like pay that forward as a way to support other artists, whether they need it or not. I mean, you know, big artists obviously don't need my little support, but just being part of this whole thing, it just, it just seemed reasonable that I'd take some of the money I made from art and, and buy art with it. You know, and I mean, you look at someone like Cause, I mean, look, he makes a lot of money and he spends a lot of money on artwork. So yeah, you know, good on him. It's been said that your work is characterized by happy characters living in brightly colored, bubbly landscapes. Do you think they're happy? Because <laughs> I don't. I mean, there's a double-edged sword, right? They're kind of deformed. They look like ogres or some monsters, freaks, in a way. Some of them can be, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you know, generally speaking, my work is optimistic, and I use the bright colors to to have a positive impact, especially if it's a mural, you know, bright colors outside, regardless of the characters or not. Like, I think the bright colors just resonate with people. But yes, to your point, um, you know, my favorite characters are the ones that are more uh, forlorn or, you know, in some sort of state of not not bliss. You know, I think, I think that speaks more to the human um, experience. You know, I think being, I mean, I'm an optimistic person. I think being optimistic is my human experience, but I think that when you look at the human condition and stuff, that's not necessarily like generally or mostly the case. Um, and I think that it's just incredibly uh, kind of ridiculous and kind of funny to have an ice cream character that is forlorn, you know, and that's like the last thing that he should be, you know, so... Well, you mentioned ice cream, which is passion we share, perhaps. <laughs> I've been spending years literally collecting all kinds of visuals and articles relating to ice cream uh, with the idea of possibly doing some kind of larger project, documentary about ice cream. Who knows? It's not really going anywhere <laughs> in the meantime, but I've just been following it. It's, I have this theory about ice cream is, you know, the sort of the universal connector and one of the reasons I've, uh, during the COVID, the worst of the COVID period, I was driving some of these back roads upstate mm -hmm. and would come into some like little town, you know, basically empty little town. And then you'd see like a line of people hanging somewhere and you'd look closely and you'd see it's an ice cream parlor. The one thing that people would come out, the ice cream, it's such a wonderful, incredible story the whole ice cream history. So I don't know, how does your world of ice cream come together? Tell me the secret behind it. I know you have the melted character also, which suggests some kind of passing time as well, like something that's not so positive. Right, yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I mean, the work looks like is ice cream, but, uh, but you know, it's not about ice cream, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, it goes back to the Renaissance and I just love Renaissance paintings and I'm, I'm not interested in, uh, painting the human figure uh, by any means whatsoever, no interest, never have had an interest in that. But I do love the Renaissance paintings and in particular, uh, the Venetas paintings, you know, that are normally like uh, um, like uh, still life paintings, you know, and those were, um, you know, it might be, uh, you know, yeah, fruit or whatever. And there might be, you know, certain uh, symbols 
for, you know, basically they were about the, the certainty of death uh, and the futility of, of, of life and these earthly pleasures. So the symbolism there would be, you know, smoke or bubbles or skulls are obviously pretty obvious there. Um, but yeah, so for me, uh, yeah, they didn't have ice cream back then in the Renaissance. Uh, so for me, you know, uh, ice cream is kind of like a, a modern kind of symbol of this idea. And, and ice cream being like a metaphor for life, you know, and thinking about ice cream, like straight out of the freezer, is kind of like when we're young, where things don't really work very well, our motor skills or language skills, you know, things don't really work uh, in the same way that ice cream right out of the freezer doesn't really fulfill on the promise of ice cream. It doesn't flow <laughs> well. You can't put a spoon or anything. It doesn't work the way it's mm. supposed to work, the way you want it to work. Uh, but time, right? The, the, the time, time is is the thing that you need to get to that spot. So time in us, us getting growing older and and going through things, um, and, and then time for the ice cream to melt gets us into that that middle part that really that really works, where things are working uh, for us. And then of course, time is also even more time added into the equation is obviously the end of it, right? The end of our life, the the melted pool of ice cream in the uh, bowl, you know? So, you know, time is both the agent of, of change in, in one way, but also the agent of change kind of afterwards as well. So for me, it's just kind of like one big metaphor for life, which I think is pretty good. You know, I think it works. I, 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 now, I'm not sure that a lot of people really would read into that per se. So I'm, I'm totally aware of that. But um, I just think that, you know, I think it's I think it's worthwhile to make work that can just function and resonate really easily for anyone, whether they have an interest or want to read into it any further or not. Um, but but that that story and that content and, and that uh, desire, that's, you know, all that sort of stuff is there underneath the surface uh, if you really kind of wanted to look further and consider it further. So I'm told that if I, let's say, walked into your studio one day and you had music playing, it would be heavy metal. For sure. <laughs> 100%. How did that ever happen? I mean, it does not fit your demographics, or does it? Yeah, well, again, something I don't you know, know. Um, you know I'm, I'm listening to heavy metal in, in more of a conceptual way. You know, that's what's interesting to me. So, yeah, look, aggressive fast paced macho music yes that doesn't seem to vibe with the look of the work but the spirit of it is there you know what i've always loved about heavy metal music is that you know it it doesn't ask for permission it doesn't make apologies it's just like full speed ahead this is what it is and you know like it or not this is this is what's happening um and so some of that is something that I've always trying to imbue in the work that I make that it just, it just is, is full on um, what it is, how I want it to be uh, exploring the ends of the, the, the concept there. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be going down that road and making, making it kind of whether you like it or not kind of thing, you know? So. So who are some of your bands? Are you listening to like Norwegian, like death metal or how, where do you draw the line? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, so, there, there's a lot of heavy metal that is just way too aggressive. Even when I was younger, it was just like, I appreciate it for what it is, but I don't want to listen to it at all. So again, going back to the optimism, you know, a lot of the heavy metal that I like is uh, like this, a power metal 
um, you know, they call it power metal um, from Europe. Um, so it's kind of like this triumphant, optimistic, riding off into battle kind of music. You know, that's that, that, that's like what you can imagine if you're on like horseback, you know, and you're in Germany or some European country. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I like. Okay. You know, it, it, it seems good to me. But again, metal is such a broad pool to pull from. And there's slow metal. and You know, there's a kind of a, a, met, a, a type of metal for any mood that you're in. You know, it's such a deep wall to pull sure. from that you don't have to look outside of metal if you don't want to. Right. But a lot of people of your generation that I, that I know were either like into punk rock or hip hop, just that was their energy source for work they created. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, not yeah. you, right? You know, I think, uh, I think, yeah. I mean, part of it, uh, I guess, is just my taste. And, you know, I don't know. I, uh, hip hop never really resonated with me. And I think punk rock, listening to punk rock all day, every day, that, uh, that, <laughs> much better to do heavy metal man every day <laughs> to each his own right i know you work with brands yeah. too with major corporations and of work of that nature is there a line of where who you would work with do you assess the company when they come to you on any kind of social justice or other levels depending on what do they sit on in terms of your politics yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, look, I've never worked with a um, cigarette company or, you know, never worked with, you know, whoever. I mean, um, th those projects just haven't come up where I've had to be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. Yeah, luck luckily, uh, the projects that come up uh, just kind of make sense. You know, um, it seems like there's like some uh, some reasonable um, thing there for us to work together, you know, and, and, you know, there, there's a few considerations I have, of course, if there's any project that comes up, you know, it's kind of like three criteria that I'd go through. Uh, this is maybe something for younger listeners, you know, but, um, um, you know, and this actually kind of came from like an art class of mine in college, uh, you know, trying to determine whether you would take on a project or not. And basically the three criteria are uh, money, exposure and halo, you know? And so money is the money, right? Is the money what you think it should be? The exposure, of course, are always going to sell you on exposure, but is it like real exposure? And is that like a worthwhile thing to be compensated with? And then the halo effect is, is it a company or a cause that you want to be associated with? And so basically if one, if a given project uh, meets one of those criteria, well, you might do it and you probably won't do it, but if it only meets one, it's probably not going to work. If it meets two of them, then that that works. You know, it could be either two, either two of the three that work. But if it meets two of them, then that's that that seems like a reason reasonable project to take on. And then, of course, if it hits three, it I mean, you know, that's like a unicorn, right? Like, of course, you're going to jump into that one. And so that's a criteria I've used for a long time. And then recently, I actually added in kind of end all be all criteria, which is. Will it make or break my career <laughs> for better That's or for a worse? Tough one. Right. Is this going to be a career defining thing? Whereas if I say no to this, this is going to, uh, this is going to be a huge miss of an opportunity. Or if I say yes to this, will this really shoot me into a different stratosphere? Like what is this actually going to do for my career? And, you know, if it falls anywhere short of, it's going to totally change my career. I just might not do it just because there's just other things I want to do. 
you know? And I think that, again, when you look at a career over time, you're only judged by the projects that you take on or, or more specifically the projects that you complete. So any projects you start and don't finish, any potential deals that come through and fall apart the last minute, I mean, any of those things just, they don't really play into your output. And so you can't really be judged by those. It makes sense. But again, you have to kind of think about like, well, what are the things that I want to see through to the end? And there's so many projects that I've started years ago, even that I just haven't finished yet. You know, some of it just takes time. Some of it, I have to rely on other people. Some of it, um, I just haven't prioritized, you know, for one reason or another. But ultimately, you know, we can only be judged by what we've actually finished and created and got out there in the world. And so, and, and again, those projects don't fit my career, my, my career changing criteria. But again, this is in context of, do I want to take time away from the project I decided I wanted to do to work with a brand? And so, you, you know, again, it's a, it's a matter of how you prioritize your time. And sometimes, even though it's less money to do the projects I want to do, yeah, fine, of course, that's fine, it's because those are the projects I want to make. And so going back to, you know, what you're talking about when we're talking about business, you know, there's, there's projects that, again, as an artist and a small business owner, there's lots of projects I've done for a long time that from a business standpoint, like maybe they don't make money, maybe they even lose money. But from an artistic perspective, from the artist side, well, who cares, right? Like that's a business consideration. Whether like this painting that I wanna make or the sculpture I wanna make or whatever it is I wanna make, they can't all lose money because I go out of business, but like not every single one needs to make money, right? Like that's, so that, that's where like you kind of have to balance it. Yeah. It's a tough call sometimes. I, I was speaking with Steve Aoki, uh -huh. the DJ, yep. you know, who does these massive shows. And he was about to do a show at Madison Square Garden in New York. And he was telling me how his people, managers and so on, were trying to get him to cut down on the production cost because he had this big cost yep. associated with everything he did. And they said, why do you need that? You know, you, you could save a hundred grand. You could just be up there, you know, with your turntables yeah. and everybody, no one's going to know the difference. And, and no, he was f feeling like, no, that's why they come. So when it comes, sometimes the decisions, the business people won't really understand what the creative person sees as who they are, how they're presenting themselves and what they need, even though, Yes, I could save some money here, but I don't think it's going to help me in the long term. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, look, if you if, if money was all you cared about, you would probably go in another career or something. I mean, you know, like you just, you know, you should have. Well, it's like luckily you don't have a manager, though, or I assume you don't have managers or people like that trying to tell you what to do and how to spend your time and what to work on. You know, um, I I had talked to some people about managing me and I had actually looked for some people to help in a more business advisory kind of role for me um, a few years ago. Um, and we kind of ultimately gave up on finding that person or those people, really. Um, because, yes, yeah, some of it, some of it, some of it. I, and, and yeah, I don't know. So, some of it is just a little tricky and some of it sometimes it's hard to find that person and blah, blah, blah. But I think at the end of the day, I think that it's important to be the captain of your own ship. You know, I think that if you're an artist, you should have a vision. 
You should pursue the vision to the best of your ability, and you should deliver and make good on promises uh, to the best of your ability for your collectors and your fans and everything you're doing. And so I think that, you know, um, and so for that reason, like, yes, I could use help in other facets of my business. I totally accept that. But I think that as the, as the creative director, as the creative leader in what I'm doing, I don't need anyone's advice for any of that stuff. Like it's up to me, you know, for better or for worse, it's, it's my decisions and I'm going to do this instead of doing that, or I'm going to do this, this in this way, instead of doing it in that way. So I, I think that's what you want. I think, I think that's what kind of the creative career demands, you know, to have the vision, be the captain and that's all there is to it. You know, there's, there's no second captain yeah, on a ship. You know, this is, this is my ship. like it's working out for you. Yeah. looks like it's working out. So keep it going. <laughs> keep uh, sending us all your cool things to look at and purchase and whatever. And thank you for being on my show, Buff Monster. Thanks, David. I appreciate it, man. This is great. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at shopburb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.